Amen. You know, uh, because of something Ben said, I was just prompted to, I want to read something to you. Wednesday night in our small group, we talked about revival. He mentioned revival. In our small group Wednesday night, we mentioned revival. And uh, I, I said I had to kind of not repent, but change some verbiage in my own life because I've said for years that the Lord doesn't need revival. The, the, the Lord, absolutely, the Lord doesn't need revival. The church doesn't need revival. It needs awakening. But as I began to look into what the word revival really means, I thought, you know what? Revival is what's needed. And here's what the definition is from Webster's Dictionary. It says, a period in which something becomes popular again after a long period of time. The growth of something or an increase in the activity of something after a long period of no growth or activity. And I was like, Jesus, that, that's what we need. Not that the church needs to grow numeric, numerically, but I believe what the heart of the Father is, is that we begin to, we get to that place again to where what's most important in our life is that we grow in that relationship with Him. That what's more important than the, the bank account, than the title that I carry at work or anything like that, what's most important in my life is that I am radically sold out to this man, Jesus. And that every day, listen, revival isn't a series of meetings. It's one of the things that Ben said. It's not like you can put it on the calendar and go, we're having, and you know what? That's happened throughout church history. And I'm not casting a stone at anyone. Okay, just so you know, I'm not throwing rocks at people that put on their marquee, revival this week from this week. Everybody with me? I'm not throwing stones, but what I'm saying is it's not marked on a calendar. It's, it's marked by a burning heart that says, Jesus, today is a new day. This is the day the Lord's made. I'll rejoice and be glad in this day. Amen. Amen. Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week. That's why we worship on Sunday. He was resurrected on the first day of the week. It's the first day that you can start. You know what I think so beautiful about the, uh, the, the, the Jewish time? is their, their day starts at sunset. It starts at sunset and runs to the next sunset. Why is that powerful? Because God wanted us to have a mindset that you don't start out working, you start out resting. Because he finished the work. So their day starts at night. You know how they start that day? They get together for a meal. They tell a story, and they, they'll recount. They'll, they'll pass on from generation to generation who God is to them. And that's how they start their day. Then they rest. They meditate on that. Selah. They mull that over on the inside and just meditate on that through the night. I'm just, this is just a question. It's not an accusation. I'm just thinking out loud. How different may our dreams be if we went to bed meditating on him instead of CSI or help me Jesus, whatever. If we went to bed, if we, if we sat down and we began our day at, at night and we sat down and we ate together as a family and we talked about who Jesus is to us. Not who he is at church on Sunday morning or not who he is to the guy down the road, but who is Jesus to you? You want a challenging dinner? Just sit down at the table and say, who is Jesus to you? What, what do you mean? I mean, what did I say? 
Who is Jesus to you? And we'll find out. What do we know? What do we really believe? Because you know what? That's what it all boils down to. It doesn't boil down to what I know. It doesn't boil down to the teachers that you listen to, what they know. What it boils down to, where is revival? Where does it start? It starts in me when I go, God, here's, I have to know you more today. Here's who you are to me today. You know what's so beautiful? Everybody has a starting point. Everyone. Everyone has a starting point. Yours may not be where mine is. You know, it, it's amazing. The Lord is so beautiful. As I've been... Uh, praying this week and just studying about what would the Lord have me to to share. It's been it's been neat how He's just my journey with Him. But He took me back last night. I was uh, I was looking at the tabernacle and uh, and some different things. And I remember this book that I had when I was in Bible college, probably twenty two years ago. 22 years ago, and uh, this was one of the classes I had to have, Principles of Biblical Hermeneutics, which is a big word for how to study the Bible. So I started looking through it, and uh, you can see things that I just, I had highlighted and, and notes that I had put in there myself that I had written in, and, and uh, I just began to look over this and the things I was like, I, I even made notes beside, this is important, remember this. Because I'm sharp like that. <laughs> Remember this. And uh, it, I started looking through here and just reading over the stuff that I had studied 22 years ago. And I would love to say that my mind is like a steel trap and that I have every bit of it right here. And I believe that I do. But sometimes I think it's back in one of, those, one of those wrinkles way in the back that it's not as easy to access as I would like for it to be. <laughs> I believe it's in there, but just me being able to dial it up sometimes is not so simple. But I began to look at that, and I began to think of my history and who God is to me, and what is he calling me to? Not just our church. See, you've got to understand, if I don't have a vision for me, this place will never go anywhere. If I don't have a vision for me separate from this place, if this is my identity, I've missed God. He has to be taking me somewhere in my personal journey, in my time with him, so that when we come together corporately, he can take us together where he wants us to go corporately. And the same is with you. You can't just come here and just, we can have a great vision about reaching people and, and seeing it on earth as it is in heaven. We can have all of that. But if you're not fulfilling and going after the vision he's placed in your heart, and you go, I don't even have one of those. That's okay. You're here today. And it can start today by saying, God, what is my story? And then you can begin to remember who he is to you. Not who he is to someone else, but who he is to you. Because as we were in worship and uh, Ben was, was coming up, now you saw me chase him up to the, to the keyboard. I told him, I said, man, there's, a, there's an opportunity for invitation. This is an invitation. What Luis was declaring was an invitation when we were saying, Jesus, here's everything. Here's my all. Here's everything. It wasn't just a cute song. It wasn't just a, something he was reciting. There was an invitation, and that's what I, I told Ben. I said, man, that's an invitation. 
And he said, yeah, I know. I said, no, I don't, I don't mean like we got to invite people to come up front. I'm like, I just had to let him understand. He said, yeah, I got you. I got it. The Lord was saying the same thing to him, but there's those invitations, and, and that's what we've got to understand, that we don't gather just to be obedient to Hebrews chapter 10. Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and even so much the more as you see the day approach in Hebrews 10, I believe, verse 25. That's not what this is all about. Is that important? Absolutely. Why is that important? Because we see the model that Jesus made, lay, uh, laid out for us in the New Testament. We see that followed through with in Acts chapter 2 when they went from house to house. It says they continued. And as I shared in our small group Wednesday night, that word continue there, it means this. The word continue in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. The word continue there means to continue to do something with intense effort, implying it could be in the face of difficulty. So they continued. And you know what our journey is? We have to continue. Even in the face of difficulty, we have to continue to come together. We have to continue to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. That's the beauty of coming together because every person has a part that they bring when we come together. And that's what fellowship is. He said they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. The word fellowship there, I've said many times, is koinonia, and it means partnership. Everybody bringing their part. So what are you saying? Revival isn't a spectator sport. Revival isn't me coming and watching what God's doing to somebody else and wondering, is that real or is that them? <laughs> wow. You know, we're different. I get that. And, it's, and we're open for, for Jesus to be, for people to, be, to worship Jesus and express that in ways that are sometimes different than traditional church. And that's okay. It's not about the manifestation. It's about the heart in pursuit. And so revival, real revival, is not we get together every night of the week and meet, as, as awesome as that is. I'm telling you, I want that. I don't want a series of meetings that we wear everybody out with. Please, I am not throwing stones at anything. I'm just talking, Okay. What I'm saying, when the presence of the Lord moves in and the hearts of the people begin to stir and the shift takes place in people's pursuit that they're not pursuing things, is, are things wrong? No. Is money wicked? No. Money's not evil. If you've been taught that, you've been taught a lie. The love of money. When you look to money as your source, when you look to money as your comfort, when you look to money as your peace, that's wrong. But money's... Immoral, amoral, not immoral, it's amoral. It's not good or bad. I believe, and I don't know where we're on money right now, but I believe the Lord spoke to my heart and he said money's just a magnifier. That it just magnifies what's already in there. If you have a poverty mindset and you get a lot of money, guess what happens? You, you just get in worse shape. You'll run through it like a hot mess. It's been statistically proven that I don't, I, don't, I don't have the facts, but a huge majority of the people who win the lottery go through it in a short period of time and are worse off at the end than they were in the beginning. 
What are you talking about? They can have millions of dollars dumped in their, in their lap, but if they have a poverty mindset that says money's my security or things is what I need, they'll run through it and buy all those things and be in worse shape than they were when they, before they won it because there was no transition in the heart. So money isn't bad. Meetings aren't bad. But if, if we're just meeting for the sake of meeting, we've missed it. If we're not pursuing him, and, and here's what, what I've seen in, in authentic moves of the Lord, is that there, it begins with a stirring in people individually. And those people are, are somewhat magnetic. What do you mean by that? They'll be drawn to one another. You know, it's just like if you're wanting to find out something about some new toy you have or something like that, you know, now we have this wonderful thing called the internet, like it's just new, the, the YouTube and all that. You can YouTube, you can Google anything. It was amazing. I, w- I was looking at this, my book here, and there, there's a diagram of the tabernacle, and I was like, I might put up a diagram of tabernacle. I remember back in the day, you couldn't go to Google and say tabernacle images. You couldn't do it. If you didn't have a, you couldn't take a picture of it to put it up or whatever, Y'all don't even know. I remember when, when we started in worship, we had that, what are them things called? You sit on the ground? Overhead projector. And we would flash it up on the wall. We didn't have a screen to put it up on. We would put it, I'm not talking about here at the river, I'm talking about the previous church that, that where I pastored. We'd put it up on the wall. And to repeat, you just left it up. You didn't have to go back because it was all on the wall. Thank God for advances. You know, I look at this. I look at this. I look at how we've advanced and stuff like that in our worship. And, you know, there are a lot of churches that do things a lot more than we do with lighting and all that. That's amazing. But I think in my heart, even to me personally, I go, with all these advances technologically, why aren't we at a different place experientially? Why, as far as we've advanced in that, like I said, I went, I could get picture after picture after picture of the tabernacle and all these different things. I, could, I can get those and I could throw them up in an instant. And I think with everything that's at our hand, the resources, you know, when, when I was in Bible college, you know how I found the scripture if I didn't know it? I had a concordance. Y'all know what that is? I had a Strong's and a Young's. I had a Young's analytical concordance. I had a Strong's. They were about this thick. They were this big, and they were like three times this thick. They were like this thick. And you go look that word up, and it'll tell you where it's used and how it's used and what it means. Now all you do is go to the internet and Google. It's a lot easier, too. I'm just saying. But we have so much at our disposal. And when we talk about revival, God is calling us in. And I, you know, I, I guess it's probably one of my life verses and it's uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 13, 8 is the verse that really changed my life. It's Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, I think is one that's been just as influential in my life because it's one God's continually calling me back to because it's something that we continually get to do every day. And... I memorized it from the King James, so that's what you're going to get it in. (laughs) He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That living sacrifice. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Abraham and his son Isaac. When God told Abraham, and I, sh- I shared this not too long ago, but he told Abraham, he said, I'm going to, his name was Abram, and he said, changed his name to Abraham. He said, because you're going to be the father of many nations. And he took Abraham out, and he told him, he said, look at the skies. If you can number them, that's what your descendants are going to be. Look at the stars, not the skies. The stars in the sky, if you can number them, that's what your descendants are going to be. He said, look at the sand around your feet. And they were in the desert. He said, you can't number it. That's who your descendants are. And he wasn't just talking about his physical lineage, those who would come from his seed. He was talking about seeds. He was talking about the one who would come from his seed being Jesus. Because we are of our father, Abraham, because he was the father of faith. Why was he called the father of faith? Because God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, through this seed, Isaac, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And Abraham said, I receive it. That's a good word right there. I receive it. And he said, okay, come with me. Abraham said, where are we going? He said, get your boy. Isaac? Yeah, get your boy. We're going up on the mountain. What are we going to do? We're going to kill him. Flag on the play. <laughs> Offsides. What do you mean? Is that what he did? No. Abraham gathered up. You, you know, I've heard this said before, and I believe it's true. Yeah, we have no account of Abraham telling Sarah what he was going to do. Because that would have never happened. She would have hit him in the head with something. Yeah. You go tell mom, I'm going to go up on the mountain and, and sacrifice our son. The one you've been praying for and didn't think you was going to have? Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't tell anyone. You know what he did? He didn't even tell the people who went with him. He took a group with him. He said, you guys wait here. The lad and I will go up on the mountain to worship and we'll be back. That's what he said. What, what, how could he say that? Because he knew he, every night when he was out uh, shepherding, he would look up at the stars he was doing that before Isaac. And as Isaac grew to the age he could be sacrificed, whether it be 13 years old or whatever, I don't know. I don't have an age for how old he was. You know, that was one thing that was amazing when we was in Israel. They said that we, we sat down with a rabbi, and he said, your interpretation of Scripture and ours are different, not just because of Jesus, but you call a young man 12 or 13 years old. Sometimes we refer to a young man in his 20s. So we interpret scripture in the light of that. When it says that Isaac was a young man, it doesn't mean he was 12 years old. Isaac could have been in his 20s. So why are you saying that? All those years, he would remember, he would walk out and he would look up at the stars at night. And he didn't have light pollution like we do. If you don't live in the country, you need to drive there sometime. And I'm not talking about just country down the road. I'm talking about country where you can go out to Linda's house. <laughs> when you, you can walk out away from the house a little ways and it's dark outside. You can't hardly see your f- hand in front of your face. That's kind of dark I'm talking about. I've been there before in, in Haiti on the mission field and when all the power went out and I was on the rooftop and if I hadn't had a flashlight, I couldn't have got off the rooftop because I was literally like this and couldn't see my hand in front of my face. 
It was that dark. But when I lay down on that rooftop and I looked, there were stars from here to here. And there were stars I, I had never seen before. You know, we walk out here and we can see Orion's belt, and that's about all I got for you. You can see some over here, and you can see some over there. Astrology, that's, that's my, astronomy, not astrology. Astronomy, that's, my, that's not my strength, neither of those, thank God. You look up and you see the, these stars. I could see stars I didn't even know were there. And I'm like, God, this is amazing. And every night, that was the tapestry that Abraham laid his head down under. And every day as he would walk, the sand would get in his shoes and he would think about the covenant that God had made with him. You ever walked on the beach? You got sand for days. There's probably still sand in my Jeep from last year at the beach, I'm just saying. This sand is everywhere, so every day. So when it came time that God said, I want you to uh, sacrifice Isaac, Abraham had walked with God. He had seen his promise so many times. He had felt his promise so many times. He looked at those with him, and he said, the lad and I go up on the mountain to worship, and we'll be back. He knew that if he had to sacrifice him, God would raise him up. You know what else is so beautiful? He had fully intended in his heart to sacrifice his son on the mountain. But he wasn't so dogmatic on the said of God, what God said, that he couldn't hear the saying of God. Let me say that again. He wasn't so dogmatic in what God had said that he couldn't hear what God was saying. Because as he went up the mountain, he got, to the, he got his son there and he had him tied. He ain't going to talk about Isaac yet had him tied on the altar, ready to be sacrificed. And the Lord said, don't do the lad any harm. Look behind you, there's a ram caught in the bush. So as he was coming up this side, the ram was up this side. God had provision there. So he was not just sold on doing what he had been told. He was still listening to what God was saying. That's so important. That's so important because that's what brings revival. We can hang our hat on what we've believed all our lives, but when God starts saying something that doesn't look like what we think, it can mess us up so much that we just quit. When we start seeing things that look different than what we're used to seeing, we can back away and, give, and, and uh, halt and stop when God's saying, no, I'm calling you into something more. Right now, it's not comfortable. Right now, it may not be familiar, but I'm calling you into something that I have for you. That's this Romans 12, 1 and 2, that living sacrifice that every day we go, God, here I am. Here I am. There's things in me that I have to crucify today. <laughs> And it's amazing how those little things, the more that we press into him, and you know, it's been a running joke. I don't even know if it's a joke. It's not funny anymore. (laughs) Me and my driving. And how I've allowed it to affect me. And it's, you know, to a generation, to the generations and the generations, because I I ride with my daughter, bless her heart, and she, (laughs) we break that thing in Jesus' name. But I was riding down the road yesterday, and I told Tina, I said, the Lord's really, as I've continued to just say, Jesus, I want revival. I want revival in me, and I don't know what that looks like for me. I can study revival, and I can see what it's looked like in the lives of other people, but I'm not them. 
So God, I don't even know what it looks like for me, but here's what I do know. Every day there's this wooing and this drawing for me to get closer to you. There's this wooing, this drawing for me to lay down those things that have been so important to me and just go, Jesus, they're yours. I lay them at your feet, whether it be time or whatever it is. And I've begun to notice as I've done that, the things that can just turn me on a dime. I've always been competitive. I've always been, oh, Tina, close your ears. Headstrong, strong-willed. She doesn't know anything about that. I keep that hidden from her. (laughs) Amen. And I mean, I can be going from Gibsonville to Burlington, and it's like I'm in a race. I've just got to get to the other side. And if stoplights and people would get out of my way, I could get there and get what I need to get done done and be on about my business. And I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm no, I'll be like this, and majority of the time, and I'm not just saying this, majority of the time, I'm on the phone with her. I'm writing somewhere, and I'm talking, I can't believe it, you said, and I go, oh, I said, I'm doing it again, aren't I? She said, yep. <laughs> and I, I told her yesterday, we were riding down the road, and I said, you know, I've just really been practicing, because I'm just telling you, here's who I am. If you're coming up the road, and there's two cars in this lane, and, and there's a car way up here in this lane and these two are going slow and I'll go around these two and whip in there and get in front of that one just so I can be in front of those two. Doing the speed limit, Angel. <laughs> have a law officer in the room. I just want to make sure. I'm not, I'm not the speeder. I really I don't. I don't run 60 and a 35, but I'm going to strategically, I'm going to strategically, I don't, I don't. You can put one of them little things in my car. I don't know about you, Josh, but you can put one of them little things in my car. That was a different day. That was a, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but it's just, about, it's just about not allowing anything to be in my way. And I've noticed... I've noticed how it, what it does to me. I've noticed the, the mind that it puts me in. So I show up somewhere that I didn't have to be in a, hur- in a hurry, and now I'm saying, Jesus, use me. And I'm like this. I can't believe those slow people. I can't believe they don't know how to drive. So I get there, and I'm so worked up, focused on me, I can't see anybody else. And I can go in and out, in and out, and I'm so consumed with me that that's all I see. And I can go home and get in my closet and pray and say, Jesus, I want revival. And do it from a sincere heart. And he said, you want revival? Be a living sacrifice. Then when I put something, my finger on something, you say, I'm willing to lay that down for you. And it's not a thing. Don't mishear me. It's not an activity or a toy. It's an occupation of time to just go, God, I recognize there might be some things I need to rearrange in my life because I keep saying, God, I want more. I want to see more. I want to, I want to be used by you and all this. And I'm not giving you any room. I'm constantly filling it up. If it's just driving to the other side of town, whatever. But he said, 
Revival is to come back to something you haven't had in a long time. And I go, Jesus. That's what he wants for his church, his body. We don't need to be born again again, but what we need to do is come back to who we are. You know what he told him in Revelation? He said, come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. And you know what's so beautiful about that? As we make that pilgrimage back to our first love, we all join back in the caravan in different places. It's not that we have to go way back to this place to get back with him. All we have to do is make a decision, Jesus, I want to walk with you. And he'll, he'll bring us back in right where we are in our pursuit. He'll bring us back in right where we are at that moment and we can begin to walk in that intimacy and that relationship with him. As I was looking at the tabernacle, I, I want to share this and then I'm going to probably stop. You know, I'm going to try to add to what he's doing. But you can see, if you can see, this is a, a layout of the, old, of the tabernacle that God gave Moses in Exodus 26. And, uh, but this is with some contemporary meaning to it. But you, you enter in through the gate. There was only one gate that you could come into the, from the outside in the congregation into the outer court. And that's what this big square is. Or this, uh, it's not a square, it's a, yeah, that rectangle. You come into that, into that. And uh, once you came into there, the first thing that you came into was the bronze altar. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place of sacrifice. Next was the, 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 the bronze labor, which was for cleansing. And, and the people, as they brought ac- their sacrifice stuff, they could come in here, but only the, high pri- only the priest could come in here and only the high priest in here. Are you with me? So the people could bring their sacrifices in here and they could see the priest go through the, uh, the, to the laver. But once they went behind this curtain into the uh, inner court, they couldn't, the holy place, they couldn't go any further. They went behind the curtain, they couldn't see him anymore. But as I looked at that and I go, you know, that's our journey. As we come into the altar and we lay our lives down and cleansing comes from the water. He says he'll wash us with the water of his word. As we allow that to cleanse us and to wash us, to wash the stuff, the pursuits that aren't him off of us, then we go in. And when you come in, and it's, it's not real clear in this picture, it's, oh, it's so good. Listen. When they would set up in the encampment, the way the tribes were set up, there were the outside of this, and I've got that picture, but I didn't, I didn't put it in because I didn't think I was going there. <laughs> Ah, hold on, slow down. Breathe through my nose. This is facing east. So the east is to our right, just like it is here. Awesome, the east is that way. So that's cool. So this is facing east this way. And they were encamped all around. The, uh, the children of Israel were encamped according to their tribe all around this. And what is so beautiful, it was the true tribe of Issachar and Judah, and I forget the other one, they were on this end. And what you have in the tabernacle is a cross inside of a cross. And all this was pointing to Jesus. Do you understand? All this is pointing to Jesus. I can tie it all in in Hebrews chapter 9, and that's where I was going to go. But I have to show us this because we talked about being revival. We talked about a living sacrifice. So as you look, if you were up on a mountain and you looked 
facing the east was the longest part of the tribes in camp. They would be, like from here, you would have tribes going this way, this way, this way, and that way. And that way was the longest. So when you looked at it, it was a cross. And then when you look here at, this, at the, uh, the tabernacle, you come in, you come here, here, and then here was the lampstand, and here was the table of showbread. Here was the altar of incense, and there was the holy of holies. You see what that is? It's a cross. It's a cross inside of a cross of what, that was pointing them to Jesus to tell him there's coming a high priest who's not after Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. He's after Melchizedek who didn't have a beginning, didn't have an end, doesn't have a mom, doesn't have a dad that we know of. And he's coming. There's one coming that's going to be of the order of Melchizedek who will never die and he'll be a high priest forever over the house of God. That's why Hebrews says we can come boldly to the throne of grace because when God gave Moses this, and you know what's so beautiful about, oh, man, this is why I will not settle for a relationship with God that doesn't have encounter. I will not forfeit encounter for relationship. Did you hear me? I won't forfeit. I won't take that as uh, uh, a counterfeit encounter for relationship it's all about relationship but if you have relationship without encounter then i i dare say you don't have relationship let me clarify that because it was everybody was so on board with that but what i mean by that most of the people today live virtual relationships Almost all their relationships done online through Facebook or whatever. So there's no interaction with people. If you're going to be in an authentic relationship with someone, you're going to contact them. You're going to be in contact with them. You're going to have encounter with them, not just texting stuff and typing stuff on a computer. Are you with me? Yeah. There's going to be encounter always involved in authentic relationship. But encounter doesn't always mean you have authentic relationship. If you don't have the foundation of relationship, you can have all kind of encounters and, and just fly away. <laughs> but if it's based in relationship, and that's what this was all about. He said, I want to have relationship with you. The Holy of Holies was the presence of God. Do you, oh, man. The, this, this right here, this, these boards were overlaid with solid gold. They were overlaid with gold. So when they went in here and you have the, the, the lampstand, the menorah in there, and it lit up, can you imagine what that looked like when the walls surrounding you are gold? Not gold paint, but gold. And you light it up, you could see. I mean, it was just, it was like magnified because it was right there against the gold. But when you went into the Holy of Holies, there, were, there was the only light that was there was the presence of God. When they would go behind the curtain with the sacrifice, it said the Shekinah glory of God would fall and it would light up the room where the priest could see what he was doing. Because they, they couldn't see. There, was no, there weren't lights in there. They couldn't see. When they went behind the veil, it was pitch black. But the presence of the Lord would come. And you know what's so beautiful? I was, I was looking at this, and uh, let me see if I can find I've got so many. Hmm. In Numbers, ah, in Numbers chapter 9, in Numbers chapter 9, I'm not going to go there, but not, Numbers 9 he told them, he said, when, when you establish, when you set up this tabernacle, 
He said, the way you'll know where you're going and when you, how long you stay and when you leave is he said, during the day, there'll be a cloud over top of the tabernacle. And he said, at night, it'll be a pillar of fire over the tabernacle. And he said, as long as it's there, you stay there. But when it begins to move, you pack up. Now, you've got to think, this tabernacle, these walls right here that I was telling you on the holy place and the holy of holies, those boards were two, two, two foot, two and a half foot wide, 15 foot tall, wood in the middle overlaid with gold. That's not light. They had to pack all that stuff up and the Levites would get everything together and they would go and they would move and go where God was going. But they would follow the cloud. And I'm thinking, Jesus, this is old covenant. You were just given a type and a shadow of what you wanted us to know, how much you wanted to be intimately involved in our lives. They had something tangible they could look at. When they were gathering, they could look up over the tabernacle and say, God's here. God's here. The presence of the Lord is here. And when God began to move, they go, well, time to, time to gather up. We got to get, get going. We got to go where God says go. We got to follow God. And I'm just thinking, Lord, they didn't have Holy Spirit inside of them. They didn't have the covenant that we have. But they, were, they would watch and they would see. And I go, Jesus, help us see. Help us see when you're moving that we go, Jesus, I want to move with you. And I'm not talking about moving out of our house into another house. I'm just talking about when God's saying, I want you to go over here and do this. When I want you to go over here and do this, we go, oh, I see the Lord moving. I see what the Lord is saying to me today, right now, and I want to follow him. I mean, can you imagine coming out of your tent every day and looking and seeing this cloud over top of the tabernacle and going, yeah, that's our God. That's our God. I want to tell you, he's still our God. And he's bigger than a cloud. He's bigger than a pillar of fire. He's an all-consuming fire that's living in us. And what he's saying is, I want us to go somewhere and I want us to go together. I want us to go together because what God's wanting to do is so much bigger than what we can do individually. But as we recklessly abandon to him, it's yet to be seen what he can do through us. And that, I want you to hear me, that doesn't mean that you have to go on the mission field. Like Ben said, I think ratio-wise, I don't know of a church in this area personally that's more intimately involved in missions than we are. I'm not saying that braggadociously. I'm just saying as a matter of fact, if you look at the number of people that we have and the number of ministries that we support and where ministry's being done and the number of people that we send, we'll have 15 people go to the Dominican Republic this July, not counting Stephen and Mel and their family who will already be down there. So there'll be 20 people from this church in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. And that's not every once in a while. That's all the time. Where are we going? To a church that the Lord bought the land for, that the Lord built the building for, and it just happened to have the same name that we have because we were willing to go where he said go and do what he said do. We support ministry in Africa. We support the noops in Hawaii right now. And you go, wait a minute. Say Dominican Republic, Africa, Hawaii. I'll choose Hawaii. (laughs) But I had them on my heart this morning. I sent them a message just to say, your willingness to just be recklessly abandoned to God is in the DNA of our river, of the river here. 
And I look at that and I go, Jesus, yes. Yes. That, and it's not, you know what's so beautiful? God doesn't just want to do it in Africa, in the Dominican Republic, uh, in China. He, he wants to do it here. And you know what it takes? A, a people who are willing to say, I'll be that laid down lover right here. Not move away. So some will move away, but I'll be that person right here, God. I'll connect with what you're doing and allow your spirit to move in me and through me that we can see this area and this region change for Jesus Christ. That's what burns on the inside of me. That's the passion that I have, to be sensitive to where I am right now, to be doing what he's telling me to do right now so that I can impact the people he wants me to impact right now. Because it's just like that, the ripple effect. You drop the pebble in the water and it goes out and the ripple gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. But I don't want just one ripple. I want it to look like a hailstorm to where you just look in the water, it's just in turmoil. You know, I think it's time. You look around, there's been, it's been enough that the enemies cause turmoil. It says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It's time that the kingdom of God says, you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against us. That's not the gates of hell coming after us. That was the mindset and the picture I had growing up, going to Bible college and everything. You know, let's just keep going. Just keep doing all you can do. Just hold on because the gates of hell, they can't prevail. They won't overtake you. They're not moving. What he's saying is they can't stop us. It means we're taking their territory and there's nothing they can do about it because we're walking in the power and the authority of Jesus. Because there was nothing they could do to stop him. They came to church like they always did, but when Jesus was in church with them, they had to go. The man could stay, but the devil had to go. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. That's the Father's heart for us individually not just for the missionaries in Africa, for us right where we're at. Our mission field is wherever we work, wherever our home is, that right there we could have impact, that those ripples would go around the world. And you know what's so beautiful is every person in this room starts pinging. Every room, every person in this room starts pinging right where you're at. Those ripples will start hitting. And they'll start hitting and they'll start hitting. And people go, what's going on? What's going on? We say, it's Jesus. He's alive. And because he's alive, I'm alive. And I will never die. I'm so scared. Let's stand.